Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And when you're in the shadow of something, that means it's close. So when we get connected with God, there's close fellowship. We have fellowship with God, and it's sustainable through Jesus Christ. It's actually initiated through him, implemented by him. It's received by faith, and it's a joy. It's the greatest fulfillment there is in life. He comes into our lives, and he becomes our father, and we get to enjoy life with him. And there are over 7,000 promises he's made, and he's faithful to every one of them. And uh, it says, I will say to the Lord, four things, my refuge, my fortress, my God, and whom I trust. Can you say that with me? My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Say it with conviction. My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. See, that becomes personal, and it doesn't elude you. It, it becomes your own and it's not just for someone else. It's personal. You enjoy this close, intimate connection you have with God through Jesus Christ. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. How pertinent is that today? He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. Have you ever run into a Canada goose with, with goslings? I have. They're the pit bull of the aviary world. I, go on record, hate them. They attack my Jeep. My Jeep is way bigger than them. And when they're protecting their little goslings, I have to respect it. They come out, they're crazy. It's like a butterball ham that's de demon-possessed. <laughs> crazy, flailing their wings, they've got their beak out, their tongue sticking out, they're crazy. If you've ever been attacked by one, you know why I'm traumatized and why I whine all the time about it. And I realize I'm picking on a species, but because how many of you have been dive-bombed by a Tweety bird in a tree by your office or something, and they'll peck at your head and, you know, go make, I guess, use your hair for, for a fluff, fluffiness for the, the nest. I don't know. But the imagery here, I had a parrot named Frank when I was young. I was trying to teach it scriptures so that when the rapture happened, he could fly around for at least the summer before it became winter and preach the gospel. I'm not kidding. That was, that's how enthusiastic I was and immature. Uh, but anyway, I got it from the time it was a little fledgling, little tiny, uh, and I, I paid payments on it at the local pet shop at the mall. I would go visit it. I would hold it. I developed a relationship with it, bonded with it. And uh, underneath its wings was downy feather. As it got bigger, it got the big feathers for flight and so forth. But underneath, it was just very warm and very cozy. And I've seen documentaries like you have where birds will gather their goslings or their chicks and, and they'll just do such a thorough job of taking care of them. They'll feed them they'll, you know, at great expense to their own life. And God uses this imagery here, the writer of the psalm, to express something about God's compassion, God's faithfulness, God's presence, the warmth of his his engagement with us, his willingness to cover us. You're covered. Everybody say, I'm covered. You know, when somebody says, I've got this covered, I've got your back, those are terms of commitment. Well, this is a term of commitment in the bird kind of an application. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you may seek refuge. Close to his heart, 
close proximity and good fellowship with him. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You ought to spend some time studying about how faithful God is. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. And I think one of the values of studying the Old Testament and the New Testament is to see God's faithfulness incrementally throughout the seasons and generations historically and watch his pattern, watch his track record. This psalmist is right. God is, this is what Jesus said. He wanted to gather Israel like a, a hen with her chicks, but they were stubborn and obstinate. But yet his desire was to gather and cover and protect. What is God's desire right now? He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's his desire for you? With long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. In fact, look at the rest of Psalm 91. I want to get mainly in verse 16, but just the preceding verses. Do you mind if I read this to you? You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not approach you. Uh, you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Can I brag on God for a minute? You may know it and you may not know it, but you've had angels intervene in your life over and over and over again according to the Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible said that angels were tending to Mary to explain and express and to Joseph this life-changing message of how Jesus was coming. Gabriel was used also in the Old Testament with Daniel when he was in Babylonian captivity to download amazing truths about the future of the people of God. And angels attended to Jesus when he was in battle. And it says in Hebrews, the first chapter, that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are heirs of salvation. So before I even inherited salvation as a lost little punk kid in Southern California, God delivered me from drowning in the ocean. I didn't even know what uh, riptides were, but I got caught in them. I would just pull up my legs and bob like a cork and just and be pulled out and pulled down the sea. I would watch the beach go by. Remember when that used to happen? That was a riptide, Trey. We got delivered from riptides. And our mom was asleep, and she was laying there, and we were out bobbing. I remember I got out. Finally, I worked my way out of the water. I was a little, basically a toddler. I walked back. It seemed like a half a mile. She said, where were you? I said, I was out in the water, and then the land kept going by real fast. And she said, well, don't do that anymore. So it's like, okay. So I'm out. I'm just sitting there thinking, you just got delivered, bro. God had my back, and I didn't even know God. I fell off a cliff twice. I stepped on two rattlesnakes. I've had so many episodes and issues. You know about me being lost at sea, having a boat wreck. Angels attended to us, protected us. Look at this verse. He said, the angels of the Lord, he's given charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Man, because he has loved me. Look at the eight things God will do for people that are, have a heart for him. I want to take a survey. How many of you love him because he first loves you? Let me see your hands. How many of you say, I love the Lord? Say it out loud. I love the Lord. Love means value. I value God. I honor God. 
We, we honor the Lord. We attend to Him. He's important to us. When we sin, we repent to Him. When, when we enter in, we sing praises to Him. We give of our sustenance, our finances, our time, our gifts, our talents, our skills. We believe. And, he, and because we love Him, He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will deliver Him. I hear the chains falling. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Look at verse 16. This is the hallmark signature scripture today. I'm talking about a long life. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In Isaiah 65:22 at the end in the New King James it says my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Dick Mills makes the point that the Hebrew word translated long enjoy is very unusual phrase. In the original text it's the word bala which is used 16 times in the Old Testament. Except for this verse in Job 21:13, bala always has to do with erosion, consuming, wearing out, or wasting away. Scholars are at a loss to reconcile long enjoyment with a word used to describe the wearing down of life by aging, the aging process. When, when she heard the angel's message that she would bear a son to Abraham in her old age, Sarah responded by laughing in derision. In her reply to the message, she used bala to describe herself. After I have grown old, bala, shall I have pleasure? Genesis 18, 12. The answer was an emphatic yes, by the way, to Sarah when she was incredulous about it. Bible words are so full of meaning and so rife with possibilities. See, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. With long life, I will satisfy him. I had a friend who lived into his late 80s, and he said, when I die, don't worry about it. I will have been satisfied. Don't get all upset because I will have been satisfied. D.L. Moody said, children, when I'm gone, dance. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But this word bala, 14 times, is used to indicate wearing out through time. Twice it's used to refer to utilization of time for long-range benefit. My elect, the followers of Jesus, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Say this with me. I shall long enjoy the work of my hands. Two times in the Old Testament, in Psalms and in Deuteronomy, that God will bless whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Hallelujah. We're in a time where we're not supposed to touch and we're, not, we're supposed to stay distant, but there will come a time we'll be revived for the laying on of hands, for impartation, and it'll be good. And in the meantime, we'll stretch our hands and we'll believe God that whatever we put our hand to will prosper. My elect shall enjoy, long enjoy the work of their hands, making full utilization of all the good things that go with eternal life. Don't live below the, your entitlement. My people shall last until time itself has come to an end. Instead of wearing out, they will fully enjoy all of Calvary's benefits and blessings. Last week, Pastor Bayless did a famous point about the prairie fires of the pioneer days. How many of you were here? It was an amazing message. And he said that, that a lot of pioneers actually lost, they perished, they lost their lives, all their covered wagons and their mule teams would all perish because the fires would overwhelm them and they had nowhere to go. 
He said, one time, however, a man had the presence of mind to do a controlled burn, and so he burned the, the grass behind him. So this big wall of fire is rushing toward them, fueled by the wind, and they're all standing there kind of crippled by it, but this guy had the presence of mind to, you, you, something can't burn twice, so he burned up the grass, and then as it burned out, then they were able to take all their people and all their wagons and their mule teams your provisions and take it out into the middle of the already burnt ground so that when the fire did come, it couldn't burn there because it had already been burned. And he made the point that the cross of Jesus Christ has already had the wrath of God poured out on it and we can run and we could hide under the shadow of the cross and the blood of Jesus cancels out sin and brings us into the rarefied position where a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Why? Because you're under the shadow of the Almighty, because you're in the, under the blood of Jesus, because you're in his protected hand. He literally suffered and died and he took our wrath upon him. He took our, the, the result of sin. He died for us. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered the devil. So we could have this amazing understanding that what he'll do for those who love him. We're in the shadow of his, of his wing. And it's not earned and it's not deserved. And any honest Christian knows that. It's very humbling to be a Christian. Because this is not something that's a result of our performance. We're not sitting here with our eyes up with a haughty. God hates a haughty look. Look at the election year. You just could judge it by the haughty look. Watch out for the haughty look. God hates a haughty look. That haughty look, that arrogance, that supposition that I'm all that, we need to find people that'll serve, that are humble with tears in their eyes, that are willing to lay down their lives. That's who we need to pray for in this hour. And in the church, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What did David say? I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's people beg for bread. I have a lot of young people in the audience right now. I've been a youth pastor. I've been in ministry for 40 years this year. And, I've been, and I still am a youth pastor. And I'm also uh, sensitive to the value of the entry-level infants and what they bring to the table, the hope of the future the necessity for us to train them up in the way they should go. The youth and all their exuberance and all their energy and all their development and the, the absorbency of their freshness of their thinking and the ideals and the values and the dreams and the visions they have. The resource of the middle age and what they've earned and what they've gone through and the tenacity that it took to get there. And the elders that carry so much experience, so much life understanding, so much street credibility, so much durability, so much positivity, so much power. That's the church that I envision. The church that I've dreamt of is a church that's so full of the Holy Spirit so full of worship and praise, so willing to humble themselves in repentance, so willing to dedicate themselves to a greater vision that they overcome and they persevere through whatever. And Psalm 91 is for us. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust, take it personally, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. And he'll draw near to us with amazing deliverance, with security. He'll, he'll answer us when we pray. He'll be with us in trouble. He'll rescue us and honor us. He delivers us from temptation. He forgives us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
1 John 1, 9, beat a path to this idea. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is what we overcome by, Revelation chapter 12, the precious blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives even unto death. So here I am talking and discussing long life. The Bible even says those who desire long life, that want to see long life and good days, must refrain their lips from evil and their tongues from speaking guile. And I want to tell you that's one of the entry-level elements in this moment we're in, because we're in prophetic times. We've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. We are in a transitionary movement right now. Some call it a paradigm shift. Some call it a sea change. But be assured of this. God is doing something. He's opening a door no man can shut. He did that for the church of Philadelphia in the early days. He did this for Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Jesus said it in John 16, 33, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. There's a reason God gives us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a reason you have the book of Acts. When I read the book of Acts, I see an open heaven over the despondent church trying to pray in their feeble moment of dejection, having just lost Jesus and watching him die a shameful death at the hands of the Romans. And they're up in the rented quarters of an upper room, 120, Mother Mary and a number of people, the apostles of the Lamb and others. And what happened? Same thing that happened at Jesus' beginnings of his ministry. Same thing that happened to Jacob when he saw heaven open and a ladder come down and angels ascending and descending. God's saying, I'm going to give you the land you're laying on. Same thing that happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What did he see over him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan? The heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit come like a dove and a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he was launched. Jacob was launched in Genesis chapter 28 when he had that dream. And he made a statement when he woke up from that dream. He said, man, God was in this place. I didn't even know it. He was going from Beersheba to Haran. You know what that means? Just a work a day life, just like you and me. Whatever got you here to pick out that tie or that pair of shoes, that mask, whatever you're doing, here you are, and then boom, it's like, I'm just coming along, just pressing on, these are interesting times, are they gonna open up the schools? Do we get to have church? What do we get to do? Well, how are we gonna vote? What's gonna happen? And as we're going, all the while, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. I will pour out my spirit on my handmaidens and my bond servants. And I'm a big fan of children and, and youth. And I'm a big fan of singles. And I'm a big fan of young marrieds. And I'm a big fan of widows and people that have gone through divorce. And I'm a big fan of the elders. And I'm a big fan of every human being that calls on the name of the Lord, that comprises the church of Jesus Christ. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It's an amazing patchwork that God insists upon it that we have harmony. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. There is a great purging and cleansing and a preparation that's happening right now as we're going through the eye of a needle. The Lord is preparing us. He's, that window of heaven is opening up to us. Heaven opened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Heaven opened in the upper room, a rushing mighty wind and fire distributed on the tops of the heads of those people. It wasn't human methodology. It wasn't their systems. 
It wasn't their schematics they had all laid out for their sophistication. There were, consider your calling, brethren, not many wise, mighty, or noble. God chose the foolish things of the world, the weak and the despised, the things that are not, that he may confound the things that are. The things that he wants to do, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things God's prepared for those who love him. And yet, God had to have Jacob go take, get to bed and take a nap to give him that vision of a ladder and an open heaven. Angels ascending and descending. He said, God was in this place. I didn't even know it. I was just going from Beersheba to Haran. And then the stuff God told my grandpa and my dad, Abraham, and then my dad, Isaac, he's still on it. This was my hope for my kids. It wouldn't be just classic preacher kids that got inoculated and didn't want to have anything to do with it and lived rough lives and disappeared. I want them to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. I've been living for this my whole Christian life. Looking for this my whole Christian life. Waiting on this my whole Christian life. When I was in my 20s, I knew I, that wasn't my time. When I was in my 30s, that wasn't my time. When I was in my 40s, and things started to happen. We started to have quantum leaps and spikes. Things were exciting. It garnered people's attention. And, and I wasn't supposed to get involved. Uh, it, just, it was just not my time. But now, teach us to number our days. These are our days. Who knows but that we've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Our times are in his hands. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. And God makes everything beautiful in its time. And there's something amazing about timing. I listen to the musicians. They're good with timing. I'm t I just tell you, Scott started playing drums in my meetings when he was 17 years old. And he was, I'm not a, trying to be offensive, he, didn't, he wasn't a good drummer at that point. He's now amazing. We've gone and played together. We've played music together. We've gotten out. I've gotten to enjoy playing, personally playing music with Scott. He's better than ever. And he still practices. He st and he's elevated in his career. He's got an amazing family, a lot of responsibility. And there he is, still banging away, lifting up Jesus. Hallelujah only better than ever. Everybody say better than ever. <laughs> Wonderful Pastor Jim Armstrong. When I met him, he was an Episcopal priest, graduated from Eden Theological Seminary, and he was baptizing babies. And when I met him, he was in his 50s. I was a young man. And man, I tell you, we had a bond for many, many years of life. The reason I kept him on in the staff wasn't because I was being nice or had a quota of the elderly, because that's silly, and I don't like quotas. I think that's patronizing and stupid. People, some people should leave at different times. But in his case, I kept him on because he was so effective. And the reason he was effective was because he was anointed. And the reason he was affected, he told me, was because of Psalm 92. He said, I'm planted in the house of the Lord. He came as a pastor. He came and submitted here under this leadership in this church. under my. And for years, we enjoyed tremendous connection. And he bore such great fruit. And can I tell you, I had some dates last night. And dates are nature's candy. When you change your diet and you stop eating M&Ms and uh, Mike and Ike's and hot tamales and stuff like that, you know, you start eating things like oranges, dates, <laughs> apples, blueberries, strawberries, stuff like that, watermelon. But I'm told, because I was in Israel and I asked a guy, is it true that the older the trees get, the better the fruit? He said, yes, it's true. He, same thing with grape vineyards. He said, there are some grape vineyards over there that they've collected and cultivated 
they're the core of those plants and they keep sustaining them. They're such special, such a special breed, I suppose. They just produce an amazing type of fruit. And I want to say that longevity, persevering, staying with the thing brings a lot to the table. We're about ready to see a great movement amongst the young. The young are going to do some exciting things in the earth, and we want that to be the case because they're going to take on, they're going to have to take on, soon take on all the responsibilities around us. But they need the anchoring, the stability, the maturity of those who have been through some things and that we stand with them and we support and the I see a vision of a church so with such a wide array. I don't narrow cast, I broadcast because it's whosoever will let them come. I don't put a big heavy-handed membership vibe on our church because I reckon the head of the church, he's a good shepherd and he'll guide you where you're supposed to go into the green pasture and the quiet waters where you're supposed to be planted. And then you, you, you're not buried, you're planted. You're the planting of the Lord. You're not the burial of the Lord, you're the planting of the Lord. And that means you're gonna sprout and you're gonna grow, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn of the ear, and you're gonna bear much fruit. And this message right here, with a long life, I'll satisfy you. See, I knew Pastor Jim in his 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I watched him get better and better and better and better and better and better. I watched this with a number of people. I've had the privilege at this station of my life to watch the development of a long life where the elect enjoy the work of their hands. The pleasures of this world are short-lived. Moses said that he chose to put aside the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable, but it's only passing. For the, in that, he, that he would actually embrace the sufferings of Christ, which he deemed much better. Momentary thrills lead to a lifetime of remorse and regret, but not so with the kingdom of God. Till the end of the age, believers can see the work of their hands outlast and survive the fatigue and the destruction that go with the passage of time. Listen. He led them forth in the Old Testament with silver and gold. And I love this verse. There was not one feeble among their tribe. Their shoes didn't even wear out. That's kind of phenomenal. And that is, is that something that I, I would arrange today in this message to, in order to heighten your expectations? Sure it is. I'm preaching to produce faith. I'm, I'm raising a standard to let you know that it is by design, God's desire, that you bear much fruit, that you're the planning of the Lord, you stay where God wants you to be, you get your roots deep down into the living waters and in the, hold on to the rock of your salvation, stay anchored in the Lord, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You stagger not at the promises of God, you grow strong in faith, you give glory to him. Listen to some of these verses, listen to this. Job 5.26, you will come to the grave in full vigor, like sheaves gathered in season. I remember Fred Rupp. He had a near-death experience. I visited him in the hospital. He was getting ready to go home and be with the Lord. He was at peace with God. And I said, Fred, I was praying for you on the way here. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. And I uh, wanted to tell you, yeah, that there's more for you to do. He went, there's more for me to do. He was ready to go home and be with the Lord. I hated to rain on his parade, but I said, yeah, 
So he goes and gets healed. He comes out of it and lives two more years, two and a half more years. Then he is, he's had a near-death experience at 90, 92 or 93. And I visited him. It was around the time my dad died. And I visited him. And one day, it was all praise and worship. He had a CD player next to him, and he was singing praises, Bill Gaither-type stuff. He was saved in 1925 and filled with the Holy Spirit in Granite City, Illinois. He met his sweetheart. She was in the choir. He was an usher, fell in love with Mary Ellen, and they were married for, I guess, 70-something years. He came to this as his last church. He, he said great things about this ministry and about this church. It was deep. He wasn't flattering. He had been through so much stuff. And here was this elegant senior couple in our midst, and it was holy. They wore their Sunday best. He came walking in with her on his arm. He ashamed all of us husbands one time by giving her a dozen roses right over there and kissing her on the lips. All the guys went, oh, he raised the bar, man. I got to get romantic now. Ramp it up. Wives, look at your husbands and say, ramp it up. So he had praise and worship one day. Another day, he waited so long that people flew in from California. Distant relatives came. And it was evangelism day. They would come to see him, and he would share the gospel of Jesus. I listened to him. It was so succinct, so powerful, so well-worn in his life, so front and center. And he shared the gospel with so many people. I remember these young guys from California, edgy young guys in the presence of holy greatness. And I remember being in the hospital, and this brought me to tears. His main doctor, a man from India, came in, politely nodded to the family, went over by the bed, knelt down by Fred, held his hands, and wept and thanked him that he got to be his doctor for the privilege of getting to know him. And Fred just put his hand on him and prayed for him. It was holy. That's what got me crying. He went home from the hospital. I visited him. He was laying in bed. I looked at him. I went, Fred? And he went, it's like, oh, good. He's not dead yet. <laughs> it's Mary Ellen's birthday. He went, pulled his covers off. He had khakis on and a shirt buttoned all the way up to the top button, popped out of bed. And the last thing he did was have cake with Mary Ellen. That night I prayed for him, and he died that night. Mary Ellen wanted to go be raptured with him. Her theology was such that they were, they never thought they'd be parted, and it was really special. And I had to say to Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen, you can't go yet. And it was like two children looking at me, disappointed, like I said something so difficult to them that they would have to part. But they did. And Mary Ellen lived for another couple of years in a condo right down the street. She said to me, Pastor Jeff, sometimes I'll pray eight, nine hours a day. I said, man, that's good you're praying. How precious are the death of God's saints. Prayer warriors like that are hard to come by. Well, then she began to pass, and I visited her at the condo. And while she was dying, her grandson took me aside. The granddaughter had gotten saved right here at the altar and gave her life to the Lord and is still serving God. And Fred told me he had been waiting for 35 years for that to happen. You remember that? She's still serving God and her son's serving God and her husband's, they're walking with God. Well, the brother was hesitant. But the, the brother at this point, he said to me, Pastor Jeff, based on how my grandparents have died and approached death, I am going to become a Christian. So I was able to go to Mary Ellen and say, Mary Ellen, your grandson just said this. And she went, and she died a little while later. And that guy did, in fact, get saved. 
by whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And this whole idea of my elect shall enjoy with long life, enjoy the work of their hands. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Your children's children will be saved. Think how happy the environment was when not just Abraham, not just Isaac, but Jacob has a dream. The land you're laying on, I'm going to give to you. How happy was the realm of the spirit when the church had the download of the upper room? We are, listen, pay attention to this, tethered to that divine holy encounter where heaven came to earth. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. And then Jesus said, it's good that I go because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and I'll be with you to the end of the age. And I'm gonna have you tread upon the serpent and the scorpion. It says there in the Psalm 91, on the lion, the young lion and the adder. That symbolizes taking authority over evil spirits in our lifetime. We take our stand in faith. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven because God has given us an open heaven. Jesus came, heaven on earth, to provide provision so we could have access to the throne of grace and have a, a, a draw near with confidence to him and then have a length of days. It says in Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Isaiah 65, 22 is what I just quoted to you. The holy ones, the chosen ones, the elect, will long enjoy the works of their hands. Will long enjoy the works of their hands. That's the opposite of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the opposite of just the morbidity that's pervasive in the world. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrived in Babylon because they carried deeply held conviction. Daniel made up his mind. He's not going to compromise and eat the food of the king. He's not going to compromise even if they're trying to change him. They, he would not be conformed to the world. He was transformed by the renewing of his mind, his prayer life. He walked with God. He, he developed. He stayed true to the call, and he thrived. So did the early church. Paul in Rome so did the early beginnings of my Christian life when culture was shifting and Jesus was moving and formal religious churches were getting filled with the Spirit and unsaved kids were coming into the kingdom and people were retrofitting and engaging and welcoming a new wave of people into the church. Brought into the kingdom for such a time as this, Mordecai told Esther to stop Haman's persecution of the Jews. God raising up Dietrich Bonhoeffer during the 30s to stand for Jesus in a crazy culture of Germany, to extract a little son of a pastor in 1940, Germany. Same year Lenin was born, wrote Imagine, a dismissive, one of the worst pop songs ever written. And here comes a guy out of that same, out of an, same era with a different message, preaching the gospel of Jesus extracted from the woundedness. He told me he walked from his home to a, the shoreline to a boat. He got ready to get on the boat and it was sunk. Many people perished. The next boat he did get on, by the time he got on it, he saw, he saw such horrible sights of war and it still impacted him. And yet God raised him up, touched his heart. He saw a vision of Africa being touched by the power of God. He went from normal missionary results then he had a dream, and when he got up, 
he saw Africa changed, and it, he said that precipitated greater fruit, greater impact. He went from average missionary results to something extraordinary, and it was because of a vision he got. Jacob went from average to a dream, and then everything changed. Paul went to sleep uh, in Acts chapter 16, trying to do stuff, frustrated, trying to get into places, trying to do what God was calling him to do, has a dream of a man in Macedonia. He goes and he leads Lydia and her household to the Lord by a river, the first European converts. It's the turning point of Western civilization. A, a demon-possessed slave girl gets delivered, and it causes a big old bunch of problems for Paul and Silas, and she gets set free. And then yet, because they preach Christ to her in the name of Jesus, get out of him, get out of her. She got set free because of the power of Jesus. I'm assuming she followed through on it like Lydia. He gets in the Philippian jail. The jailer has, they have a great encounter. Midnight hour, he, they sing praises. When, when it feels probably as bad as it feels here right now for us, maybe worse, but yet he worshiped God. And the prisoners heard him sing. We've got to sing through our masks. We've got to sing through the quarantine. We've got to sing through this economy. We've got to sing through this election year. We've got to sing heartily with praise and worship like Jehoshaphat's sending out the worshipers ahead. And God is going to do the rest. The battle is the Lord's. <laughs> Jacob's ladder was good for Jacob. The upper room was good for the early church. The open heaven was good for the inception period of Jesus' ministry. But did you know that God is about to pour out of the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former? Did you know that God has designed you to live out your days and deflect the sickness and disease? Jesus not only bore your sins and iniquities, he carried your sicknesses, and by his stripes you are healed. With long life he satisfies you and shows you his salvation. Greek word kairos, Hebrew word moedim, Kairos is different than chronology. Kairos is a divine purpose moment. That was a moedim when that, that ladder popped through heaven and God said to Jacob, I'm going to give you this land. That was a kairos moment when heaven opened and fire distributed on the tops of the heads of the saints and they went out speaking the gospel. Talk about diversity. You, you talk about diversity training. Women and men, all ages, 120, apostles, laymen, everybody else, anointed by the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel in the languages of the people from Cappadocia and Pontus and Arabs and as far away as you can get far away from. And they were there assembled in that holy day of, of the day of Pentecost. We didn't get to have Easter, but we had Easter. We didn't get to have Pentecost, but we had Pentecost because nothing can stop what God's about to do. Nothing can hinder what the Lord, the purposes of God will not be thwarted. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. That ladder popped through heaven and be assured of this, God has and is taking care of his people. He said, I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, will not be consumed. That's the Lord taking care of his Jewish people. And he said to the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says to the nations, repent. You're like, you're like dust on the scales. I'm giving you a margin of repentance right now. Repent and receive what Jesus is offering. But here we are with an open heaven. He's our refuge, our fortress, our God, and him we trust. 
We don't have to work toward 50,000 light years to get to God. He's, he worked to get to us. Christianity is the religion where the leader died for the undeserving and forgave those who made him suffer on the cross. And we receive him as a gift. We don't earn it. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. Otherwise, we'd be able to boast. We boast in the Lord how good he is, how undeserving we are of his gift, and how thankful we are that he'll do these eight things for those who love him. He said, if you love him, he's going to deliver you. He's going to set you securely on high because you know his name. What is his name? Jesus. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Three holdouts for the long haul. Moses, Deuteronomy 34, 7. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, he didn't need to get 1.5 readers at Walgreens. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. You know, he walked up a mountain when he died. Caleb in Joshua 14, 11, one of my favorite ideas. Listen to this. Listen to this. Mrs. Reibold, I am still as strong today as I was on the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Say it. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Jim King has been in our church for a long time. And I was a runner, and I was jogging, and I was really confident in my running. He had work boots on, and I challenged him to a race. He beat me. And I'm going to just tell you, I still think he could beat me. His legs are about 14 inches longer than mine, which I didn't pay attention to. And so that's the advantage he has. But he also has that young 14-year-old male ego inside that he will not let me win. He will not let me win. I, if I ever went out and race, you might see us out there racing. And uh, because I'm in denial about aging. I love growing up, but I'm not going to take on this decrepit thing. When the Bible says that, that we will enjoy the work of our hands with a long, we will long enjoy. Dick Mills, I'm reading from Dick Mills. He lived to be 90. We talked about this often. And I got to know him throughout the, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Do you know one time he and his wife, Betty, flew all the way from California, landed at the airport, Shuttled over to the airport Hilton. He was a Hilton, loyal Hilton guy. And Patsy and I drove up there. We were hurting through some personal battles. Had no one really to talk to. Pulled up in the parking lot. He and Betty got in the back seat. They laid hands on us to talk to us. Prayed for us for two and a half hours. And he got back in the plane and flew home. And he was in his late 80s. So listen, you guys that are elegant, you have a crown of, of, of gray hair, you, that's your glory, you've been around a while. This is your time to download, your time to exude confidence, your time to communicate your testimonies, the time to pray your rich prayers. You know, uh, Yo-Yo Ma is a famous cellist, and he secured and is the custodian of a Stradivarius cello. It is a premium instrument. And uh, Joshua Bell has a, a violin made by Stradivarius. It's worth millions of dollars. These guys are custodians of these things. They have such a gift, and they were able to get these great instruments. Well, one time, 
Yo-Yo Ma was in a taxi in New York and he got out and the guy drove off and he realized he had his Stradivarius cello. But thankfully, everybody say thankfully. The driver was a man of honor and integrity and it got traced and he located it and he got it back without any problem. But the reason I, I say that is because he could have lost that expensive ancient instrument. That instrument gets better with time. And interestingly, they've been researching why Stradivarius violins and cellos and instruments, violas, are so, so good. They've done it down to the molecular level, and they think the reason, the main reason is the tonal woods were trees harvested by, from trees that went through very severe seasons, very harsh periods of winter in ancient Europe, and that the harshness of the atmosphere strengthened the fiber of the trees, which resulted in unusual quality tonal wood, which made instruments that now fetch millions of dollars. They're rated on the level of the famous master paintings. They're works of art. I'm telling you, in the church, Charlotte Grafe called me. She said, Pastor Jeff, I'm getting ready to go be with the Lord. And I was in California getting ready to preach. And I said, Charlotte, you're not supposed to die yet. This was another case where I, 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 I was believing God and brokering a deal with an elder. Please live a little bit longer. In some cases, this can happen. I said, you're supposed to live longer. She got quiet just exactly like Fred. Fred, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And they were starting to untether from this world and connect with the electromagnetic current of drawing toward heaven. And I said, there's more for you to do. More for me to do? Okay. And so she lived for a couple more years. She was amazing. In fact, she held out. I was out of town again. I got to come home and say goodbye to her, and then she passed. How precious of the death of God's saints. So what I'm saying right now is this. With long life, he satisfies you. Shows you his salvation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn and look at somebody next to you and say, there are important things for you to do. Tell somebody else, there are big prayers for you to pray. There are dreams you haven't dreamt yet. Say it. Now say this word, open heaven. Everything that you've experienced leads up to this moment. Whether you're from Jamaica or the hood, whether you're a social worker or a cop, a young family with kids that are now teenagers, and it takes a special anointing to raise teenagers, and or you're a teenager, and God's amalgamating something and stirring and blending and creating something. Prayer, word intake, tenacity, fortitude. These are the emblems, the hallmarks that have caused you to be who you are. You elegant elder saints are particularly significant in my mind because when I was 19 years old, I had no adult support. And all the elders, when I got saved at 16, the elders were 18, and that was not ideal. We needed the sustained, confidence-producing stability of the mature. 
But now we have it in this hour. This move is lining up. This, moving, this move is dialing in. It's going to comprise the youth and include the youth on a high level, the middle age on a high level, the elders on a high level. Hallelujah. Bond servants and handmaidens, both genders, all ages, all ethnicities, suburbs, rural areas, urban areas. Hallelujah. Formal denominations, non-denomination. God's moving on his church. Anna was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then, and then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And she and Simeon looked through their weathered eyes and saw Mary and Joseph come, to dedicate Jesus, and they saw this moment and said, finally, we see the salvation of Israel. And they got to go home and be with the Lord. That last little holdout couple, to just not a couple, but together there, old Simeon, old Anna, believe in God, old long-haul holdouts, believe in God, trust in God, relying on God, all hands on deck. Every man, woman, and child needed all your faith. Deploy it. Trust God for him to bring an open door. Paul said a great door of effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Make the most of your time, he said, because the days are evil. The days are evil, so we need to make the most of our time. We need to pray, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, with prayer, petition, giving of thanks, and entreaties, for all people, we're praying. We have 12 Sunday night prayer times before the election. We better pray for our country. We're going to have fasting and prayer. I'm going to call nights of prayer. We're going to be praying, fasting. I'll call the church to fasting. We're going to get in a prayer campaign, dedication. We're going to receive impartation. And we are going to have seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Let's all stand up on our feet. I'm done now. I got it. Hallelujah. Say this with me. With long life. He satisfies me and shows me his salvation. I'm enjoying life for the long haul. Listen, get this in your youth. Carry it through your middle. Take it all the way to your elderly age and live out your days and be like the mentor that told me. He said, listen, when I'm gone, don't be upset. I will be satisfied. Billy Graham said, when you hear that Billy Graham died, don't you believe it? It just means I went to heaven. I'm still alive, very much alive. I'm just in heaven. What D.L. Moody said to his kids, children, when I'm gone, dance. That's not morbid. Put your hand on your heart. Say long life in Jesus' name. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. I treasure what he did for me on Calvary. I stand on the basis of faith in his name. I'm living out my days. I will not be cast away. I remember my creator and I have long life, long life, strong life, joy in Jesus' name. Amen.